Constantino Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be dealing with the Babylon 5 Season 2 episode, Gropos. Now, this episode is a really nice character-driven episode that takes a look at some very realistic situations. Um, and that's something B5 is good at and will always be good at. Um, so this is looking at the horrors of war. Um, from a different perspective. Jameis always envisioned, I've mentioned this before, two, two different shows. One that's like this big galactic spanning war show full of empires rising and falling. Another show about people trying to live out their life in a small tin can. It's, and then one day in the shower he realized that it was the, those two shows were the same show. Uh, you take the big perspective and you make it small. You see big you know, wars and, and galactic ramifications and political situations on the smaller human scale, on the personable scale. And that makes you empathize with the situations more, understand the situations better, and come to uh, care about everything that's going on. And that's what this episode does. So we have really three things going on that are all intricately tied. So you have the, um, I think perhaps the best, which is the General Franklin part. Uh, he's the leader of the ground pounders, is what they're called. They're, they're, they're the army. They're the you know ground troops, basically, of Earth Force. And they're there to, uh, the B-5 is becoming a staging ground, sort of a Port of Harbor, until they head and deal with the, this uh, civil war on Matak is what this uh, place is called. Basically, it's in the midst of a civil war, and they're going to be working on the side of the government to deal with the insurgents. And that's the cover story, anyway. Well, technically, that's the second cover story. The first cover story is um, that they're just relief troops for Io. But now that now they're uh, the real the real situation is that they're there. Uh, to deal with the Civil War. But that's not the, even the whole bit of it. The whole bit of it is actually that this is a... Um, this is a compromise. It is a proxy battle, basically. What it is, is this is a war before the war begins. It's the Cold, it's cold War mentality. Earth is concerned about where the Centauri are heading because the Centauri war machine has roared into business and is starting to attack the Narn. And we're going to see the effects of the Narn-Centauri conflict uh, coming to B5 very, very, very soon. Uh, and so Earth is getting a buffer zone between them and the Centauri. And if they can get, the, the Matak is at a good strategic point that if they can use that as a staging ground, they can use it as a uh, protection, a buffer zone between them and the Centauri, or use it to stage attacks against the Centauri if Earth gets pulled into the war. Um, and through this, we get uh, the, the that, that, that's the, that's the overall plot of this episode but through the lens of this we get some really nice character moments uh general franklin and stephen franklin um the father and son and we get you know franklin his is you know stephen is this very moral very duty driven uh honor bound doctor he's been that way since we met him back in season one and now we have a very duty-driven, honor-bound 
a soldier in his father and they can't stand each other and the way that is done is beautiful because the way uh general franklin sees everything you know a man isn't a man and you know unless they stand by their principles and as far as he's concerned a man isn't a man until they're a part of the military and uh the 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 entire thing is that franklin is technically a member of the military but he's a member of the medical branch and he's uh that they even talk about this that you know during the earth membari war instead of you know developing weapons to help kill the membari he burned his research he refused to let his research that he did that he did to save lives uh be turned into a new form of machine to kill a new form of war uh, he was, he took his job to, you know, protect life, not take life. Whereas, uh, General Franklin is there to protect. And, you know, he's there to save lives, much like his son is, but it's through different means. He saves lives by taking lives. And we see that General Franklin isn't, you know, he's willing to look past his personal biases and come to realize, you know, certain things about aliens are okay, but he's resistant to it. The reason is, is he's stuck in his ways. And this is, this is sort of the relationship a lot of father and sons have. Not exactly this, but in a similarity where they're, they're so stuck in their ways that, that they refuse to admit how similar they are to each other. And there's some really great lines between them. It's acted wonderfully. Um, and, and I love when General Franklin says, you don't respect me. And, and Stephen goes, it's not about respect. It's about how we talk to each other or rather how we don't talk to each other. That is one of the most relatable sentences because I've had to say that to my father. Uh, you know, my father, you know, grew up a military brat, uh, and he suffered similar things to Frank, you know, Stephen Franklin, where he, he was scared all the time that his dad would never come back. And he wanted to join the military. He wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, and he never made it past basic training. So I never had to deal with that. You know, my father is a retail manager and is very happy and, and very good at his job. But I've never had the fear for his life that way. But oftentimes he takes my way of talking to him as a sign of disrespect when it is not a sign of disrespect. I love him and I respect him deeply. And much like Franklin, I owe everything I am, all my strength and my bravery to my father. And I love him dearly. But the way we talk to each other, the way, or rather the way we can't express our own emotions to each other drives a wedge between us. And we've worked harder and harder as I get older and as he gets older to work through these problems. And now in my 20s, we have worked out a rather well-adjusted working relationship with each other. Um, and sometimes things get bad, you know, all families have their own faults and everybody, you know, has faults, but we've strived to do better. And that's what I love about the Franklin and uh, General Franklin scenes is that it's so relatable and so well acted and they don't treat General Franklin as the stereotypical military father, the military father who's a hard ass and doesn't respect what his son does. No he starts out that way and then he learns through his son's friends just how wonderful and brave and kind his son is and realizes just how alike his son is to him just through he just expresses it differently 
And that's when he learns to really respect his son. And that's when they say, I love you. And it's just wonderful the way they reconcile. It's it's great and it's relatable. So that's perhaps why I like it the most out of everything that happens in this episode. Then we have the Dodger stuff. Um, the, the, the way I like about Dodger is that she is your stereotypical, you know, grunt, boots on the ground, soldier type character. But through her, we get we get to analyze Garibaldi and where he's at in his life and analyze what it's like in the, the general life of a soldier. Um, you know, Garibaldi used to be a gropo. He used to be a ground pounder. He used to be a soldier. He's not that way anymore. He's settled. He's changed. And he spent an entire two-parter last season you know, basically tearing Mars apart to find the one woman he ever loved. And then he found out that he lost her. And he's afraid of making that mistake again, of not telling someone how he feels, of not being honest, of screwing shit up again. He doesn't want to be a fuck up. And so when Dodger is coming on to him, and he takes her back to his quarters, he starts freaking out because he doesn't know how to deal with it. Like he, you know, he, he doesn't know how he should react, you know, he, his biological half goes, yeah, sleep with her, and she clearly wants it, but he, you know, wants to make sure that he's going to do it right this time, that uh, if there's going to be something between them, it has to be genuine, and they have to both be on the same page, and that's not what she's after. Dodger's after, you know, just a quick lay. She is, uh, you know, she puts it great, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a ground pounder, one day I can be cleaning a latrine, and the next day I could be hip deep in blood, hoping I don't hear the round that takes me out, you know, uh, she lives every day knowing that the next day, or the next minute, can very well be her last, this is all she's got, it, the past doesn't matter, the future doesn't matter, all that matters is right now, and, she wants, you know, it's the fucker fight thing. It, and she even, it's even demonstrated later in the episode when that big bar brawl happens. And she's like, it's the next thing best, uh, next to sex. And she, she's, she is there. She wants to, you know, work up that pent up energy. All of the soldiers, all of the group pros have this pent up energy because they, they, they're tired and they're scared. And every soldier, no matter their rank or experience will always be scared because war is hell and it's scary and it's unforgiving and it's never righteous. It's always, it's always something to be scared of. And bravery and strength comes from embracing that fear and taking it head on. And we see the way that that pent up energy becomes an outlet for bigotry in the case of uh, the drunk. Uh, the, the, the drunk Gopo that that Dodger ends up stopping from beating Delenn, but we also see the way that it brings people together in the case of Dodger and Garibaldi. And so it's a nice contrast, and it's uh, really well done, and I like how he goes to reconcile her with her later, and, uh, and she goes, you'll never know what you missed. And it it's sad, because you know, the ending of the episode, which I'll get to in a minute. The Third, the third part of the episode is Warren Keffer actually gets a story that's actually interesting. 
it gets the least amount of screen time out of them, but it's actually interesting this time. You may not remember him because he showed he's showed up in what two episodes, two three episodes so far. Like I said, he is was forced upon JMS by the studio, and it's completely worthless and useless. And he only has like one important plot thread, and that won't come until later this season. So, um, but I love how you know we showed the difference between basically the air force and the army um uh they even the the, the bar fight even starts because you know the you know army grunts don't like air boys you know um i've had a lot of family in the air force uh so i've heard about the mentality of air force people and seen the military uh, the mentality of the air force people and i've heard about the rivalries between the different segments of the military and, and i i like how he manages to because he's so wet behind the ears and he understands the fear that comes from, you know, fighting, fighting, you know, a battle uh, for the first time. And under, in, no matter what, you know, a soldier is a soldier, whether you're in the, the army, the Marines, the, the Air Force, whatever. And uh, I, I love it how the one grunt is basically like you're going to, you know, when they're all packed in, which, by the way, they, the production team does a great job with all the extras and the tight sets and the, and the close quarters to really demonstrate that there's 25,000, you know, soldiers packed in with a quarter million, you know, humans and aliens all on this one station. You know, they're quadrupled, you know, people in rooms. It's insanely packed, and they do a really good job conveying that. But I like how when Warren Kemp enters his room and he sees the two grunts there and, and they're like, you know, you going to do anything about it? He's like, yeah, let me get a ladder. And, and then immediately the grunt takes a liking to him. Uh, it shows that while there's a differences between the different segments of the military, at the end of the day, they're both just people. And people trying to do the right thing, trying to protect and serve. That's the job of the military. Uh, it's not to take a life. And, you know, to quote Sheridan, the one certainty in war, the one truth in war, is that people die. And we can hope that uh, as time passes, they died for the right reason. Um, but in, it was a just cause. But at the end of the day, it's our job to order people to go die. And how horrifying that is as a concept. Uh, and the ending is just chilling because... You know, everybody's clapping. Earth, you know, fought off the insurgency. They've taken the fort. Yay, the, the government has won. But at what cost? You know, the friends they made. The real human people that fought, bled, and died for the, the that fort. Those honest, normal people who deserved, who had every right to live as much as everyone else, died. And what did they die for? Some sort of proxy war of battle that doesn't mean a damn thing. That was only used as a way to create a buffer zone between one war and the next. One country and its neighbor. So what does it mean? Does war mean anything? Or did they die for no reason at all? We can only hope that it was the righteous thing. It was the right thing. And that's the sad truth of both being a military personnel and being in a war. It's hell. I'll see you next time for All Alone in the Dark. Until then, bye.